Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan Podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today. Once again, we have a really awesome show for you. Phil, who do we have today? Yeah, today we have uh, Mark Stewart. He's the executive director of Hands and Feet Project in Haiti. Uh, some of you may know him as the uh, former frontman, lead singer of Audio Adrenaline, now known as Audio A. For those of you in the older persuasion, uh, Audio A was the one that sang Big House. Mark himself wrote that song. And they have some other songs that are great in the context of Orphan Care, Kings and Queens. Hands and Feet is another one, which is where Hands and Feet Project comes from. So check that out on Spotify if you, if you uh, don't know those, you aren't aware of them. They're just really, really good songs that uh, have great messages. So Mark has become a good friend over the years. Um, Karen, I, I know you you have a, 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 an affinity for the song uh, Big House. <laughs> so, you know, what, what's your connection? I really do. I was excited. I'm always excited to um, hear who we have on the show and, and figure out connections. But I've got to tell you, Big Big House is a huge part of mine and my friends growing up. Um, we actually were all soccer players. And so whenever it says play football, we would scream out play soccer. Nice. And so that was really big for like elementary and middle school camp for us. So super cool connection there. I can't wait to tell my friends about this. And, you know, that's one of those things for you around the world, the whole football soccer thing you thought football you thought soccer as we think of soccer in the u.s you thought that anyway because it is football so um, that's right but fortunately for all of us mark has so much more than the amazing stuff he brought to us uh, through audio a um, to share with us today about hands and feet about the work that uh, he and so many others are doing in haiti um, some of the issues that we uh, we need to deal with together and work through together uh, so, as always, we hope that you engage the conversation online. You engage the conversation through Facebook, through the Think Orphan website at thinkorphan.com. Send us an email, info at thinkorphan. Also, as we've talked about, you can, you can be a part of this, this uh, podcast through the financial side as well. If you want to get involved with that, you can go to providenceworld.com and go to the giving tab there. So, uh, without more, we are excited for you to learn from Mark. And uh, we will talk a little bit more about the, uh, the interview and a couple more things after the podcast interview here. Hey, Mark, it's so good to have you here today. Finally get you on the podcast. Um, we've been able to be, become good friends over the last few years. Yep. And so I am just uh, really excited to hear um, what you're going to be able to share with, with the world today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here too. Thank you, Phil. And uh, usually we talk on the phone for hours and hours. Now I get to do this. So this is way better than me driving around Franklin, Tennessee, talking to you on my, in my truck. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and I know that, uh, I know that the people listening will be better for it after hearing what you're going to be able to share today. Uh, before we get into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of uh, what's going on down in, down in Haiti with hands and feet, um, just share a little bit about your story and kind of how God brought you to the world of orphan care from a completely different place. Yeah. You know, my parents were missionaries back when I was 17. They moved to Haiti. I went on a lot of short-term mission trips and kind of got involved in, um, we built a child, uh, children's hospital on the North coast. Um, I had two kind of passions, music and missions. I was going to be a, a bush pilot for a mission aviation fellowship was my goal. Um, and then the band, I'd started a band in Bible college and it took off called audio adrenaline. 
So God just kind of directed me towards music for about 15 years, but I would sing about missions and write about those experiences um, that my family had. And one song was called Hands and Feet, and that became a big song for us. And um, God used that song to pour back and speak into my life and the guys in the band to not just sing about or not just encourage people to become hands and feet, but to get our hands dirty ourselves, to get in the game, to get in the fight, you know. And uh, Haiti was something I was passionate about, and I knew there was an issue with kids needing help, so we started building children's villages in 2004. Soon after that, I lost my voice, which was a crazy ride for me. Uh, because that was to be the kind of the leverage, the platform to build the organization from. But within two years, we had sung our last song at our last concert. Um, but looking back now, I realized that um, me losing my voice was actually a God-ordained moment. I really feel like God touched my voice miraculously, moved my life from being the lead singer, the vocalist of this band, the voice of Audio Adrenaline to be in the voice of some incredible kids and some beautiful families mm. in Haiti. So that's how the journey started. And it's been uh, a, an amazing ride. And I wouldn't change or trade at one moment of doing orphan care, fighting for kids in Haiti uh, for a musical career. Um, and that was kind of the miracle of my life. And as I look back, you know, now it's become evident that that whole audio adrenaline platform and career was a stepping stone. Uh, a preparation, if you will, for a, another significant ministry. Audio A was significant, but mm -hmm. this, to me, you know, in many ways feels more rich and uh, a lot more significant. Um, so that was the beginning yeah. of the journey. And, that, you know, it's been a, a battle and a, um, blessings and all those things wrapped up over the last uh, 13, 14 years doing orphan care and orphan right. care ministry in Haiti. And I know we've wrestled, you and I have wrestled with different issues, different, you yeah. know, tough, you know, the, the, a lot of the debates going on, we're talking about them. Yeah. Um, we've just kind of become brothers in this and, um, which is a big part of why we're doing this show, right? Is just to get us so that we know we're in this together and we need yep. each other. And I think that was really our first conversation was, Hey, how can we just encourage each other? Yeah. Um, and if that's all we end up doing, great. And I know that's been what we've done with each other and yeah. a whole lot more. But I just want you to, you know, we'll walk through it. I don't want you to tell it all at once. We'll kind of walk through it together, but just yeah. kind of the evolution of hands and feet and how you, today you're in a different place than when you started, like you say, in 2004 mm -hmm. with your understanding, but also the actual work. Some of it looks very similar, but even the stuff that looks similar is being done differently. Can you just start with when you first started out, what were you thinking? I mean, when you go into this, what was your mindset with what are we doing um, in Haiti? Well, uh Embarrassingly, uh, uh, you know, our, our, um, approach was pretty cavalier. Mm -hmm. Um, we were in a rock band. Right. We had no idea really, um, how to best serve in Haiti in the orphan care crisis. My mom and dad had been missionaries, but really more focused on building hospitals and, uh, things like that. Um, we kind of picked orphan care because we knew, uh, we've heard that, you know, there was a need for it. Um, However, we went into it thinking we would build more or less an institutional-based orphan care facility. That quickly changed for us to, um, because of people that went before us, and we stood on their shoulders for sure, but more of a family-based model to create um, a village for kids to grow up in. Um, you know, and I'm not going to make, uh, pretend that I'm giving them a family 
because it's it's short of that, mm-hmm. but it's as close as we can get without an adoption. Because in Haiti, a lot of kids are orphaned and abandoned, but never able to be adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, this conversation is going to go on, so I, we can retouch on that. But for us, it's been a learning experience on a best how to best serve each kid. And it's been a battle to get kids to connect, to build attachment, uh, healthy attachments. And a lot of that's, you know, we learned through CAFO, which was uh, props to Jed and this organization for being here. And, you know, having conversations about best practice. When you first hear or you're challenged um, on why you do what you do or your program, um, and you're like, hey, I've given my life to orphan care. And someone says, well, you could be doing better. Right. Your first reaction is, you know, mm-hmm. who are you? Yeah, um, exactly. Or stronger. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of mild. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, we, we are in a battle for each particular boy and girl and they deserve our very best. And there's a, this continuum of care that we talk about and you almost have to match that up to the very best options for each child is how you have to operate. But for us, it's transitioned, um, quite a bit. Um, the first thing we were, we really implemented was emotional care partners. I'm a lead singer of a rock band. Um, (laughs) you know, I have an education degree, but honestly, I spent 15 years doing rock and roll. So I'm not an emotional care expert. We partnered with an emotional care expert called the Refuge Center. Mm. They walk with us. They're there. We raise extra money to to fly that team to Haiti Mm. every quarter Mm. to do emotional care assessments, attachment disorder assessments, trauma training, uh, house mom training. Uh, And that was the beginning for us um, to train our American staff and Haitian staff on how to... um, provide the very best emotional care because we kind of dialed in our physical care. Mm-hmm. We dialed in our medical care, our dental care. Um, we were able to dial in our educational pieces, mm-hmm. hire tutors. Our kids are successful in school, but the piece that seemed to be the most struggle was that emotional care. So we dove in and got partners and you know, we're moving ahead, um, at the best we can. And that's how we did that. And then spiritual care follows that for us. We've really, felt like we can't introduce the the father or even the gospel in a real sense until kids have found healing mm-hmm. and being able to really trust and have attachment. So that was a big part of it. So um, now we've, we've progressed. We're starting to open up home-based care, uh, special for special needs kids and working through that. And we've seen great success with that. And then coupled with that is a, a real commitment to reunification, mm-hmm. which of our kids can be reunified and, we, and in a healthy way, um, and that's expensive. And but I challenge listeners out there who are doing orphan care to dig in mm-hmm. and make the effort, because I know you, your kids, like our kids, still struggle with why am is my parents alive and why are they alive and I'm in here. Mm-hmm. Um, so make the effort to start those reunification plans for us. It's weekly visits or not weekly visits, but, um, maybe quarterly visit mm-hmm. is the parent welcome to come sit with those meetings, observe those relationships, start to move, uh, and encourage those reunions. And then from there go to, Hey, you know, conversations with the child and the parent, would you consider this? Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time the kids are like, 
I'm afraid, but they they have a mixed emotion. Like I'd like to try it. Uh, and we've seen success and some failures on that, mm-hmm. but we owe it to those kids uh, to fight for those reunification families. Yeah. So the progression for us was build an institution. Then it was, let's do a family foster village and uh, give kids a chance to grow up in a family, which is beautiful. Then it was, we got to dig deeper. We could do more in terms of emotional care and attachment. Let's dig into their, their past and let's, mm-hmm. Let's find healing for them. Then it became, okay, let's see where we can reunify. And it's all work. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's all just more it's, and more work we're piling on for ourselves, but it's it's stuff that's worth it. Absolutely. And then now we're um, kind of the big push for us, the over kind of arcing conviction over the last three to four years was family preservation. What could we be doing as an organization and even more as the church, capital C, in terms of keeping families together. You know, the orphan, we've spent 12 years building what we feel like is a pretty good approach. Uh, And, you know, you can poke holes in it and try to figure out how to do it better. And we're still learning. And please tell us if you know, because we're willing to learn. But at the same time, the orphan care crisis has continued to grow in Haiti. Uh, So we've been working on this beautiful Band-Aid. But over here on the other side is this gaping wound that continues to bleed. So for us, it's about uh, motivating our friends, our platform, churches to fight for family preservation because that's really how to to heal the wound. Um, and then we kind of work backwards from there on best practices in terms of orphan care. Wow. That was, uh, if you didn't catch all that, and even if you thought you did, rewind that right now out there and listen to that again because that that encompass so many of the different things that we're talking about on this show. Um, just a little summary. You talked about collaboration, talked about teachability, continually learning, mm-hmm. talked about really so many of the different areas the, the, the really, we got to take care of the gaping head wound that's festering, not just sticking a bandaid over the top of it. Yeah. Um, there were so many other things in there, but really the ideas of we need to work together. We need to be learning and I can tell you, those aren't just words from Mark because I've watched it. I've watched him learn. I've watched, we've had conversations. And the one thing that, I, that, that's, that's, that was implicit, the other thing that's also there is just the, the stuff that wasn't said but was implied. The fact that so many of these kids have families that, mm-hmm. are, in these, that are in these places. And, and, and we sometimes don't even know it until later. Sometimes you bring them into a home and then you find out they have a family. And then it's really hard. Sometimes you don't want to know. As, exactly. Because it feels better for them to be gone mm-hmm. uh, as the orphan care provider. But you, you have to be brave enough to pull back the curtain on yeah. the kids' lives and their history. And then you got to be strong enough to walk through it with them. And mm-hmm. that's really where the rubber meets <clears throat> the right. road. Yeah. Uh, in terms of really providing the very best care for kids, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's discipleship too, right? Which yeah. is long-term. That's relationship. That's getting, and you and I have talked about that. And I'd like to hear you share a little bit about it with the audience. Just when you said to me, Phil, Haiti's just so different. <laughs> and I, and I'm like, I don't You're know. Like, tell me, <laughs> tell me more. Tell me what, but can you tell our audience too? And obviously there's similarities with people, you know, yeah. 75 countries out there listening into this. So I know there's people out there like, it's not that much different. But can you share, especially for those listening in the U.S., just what are some of the issues when you talk about like, why aren't there more men in the homes? Mm-hmm. Why don't you just go and bring them back into a, 
their kinship care with their relatives, you know, some yeah. of these issues like the rest of and things yeah. like that, that are going on in Haiti mm-hmm. and male discipleship, why it's so hard, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. Yeah. You've nailed all of, I mean, it's, it's a cultural issue in Haiti that really is some barriers, provides barriers or, you know, um, for family reunification. There's a lot of physical abuse. It's a, it's a sexual abuse. It's a very uh, highly sexualized country, um, there's not a lot of sexual taboos, you know, it's just like, oh, that's just the way it is. You know, I've seen kids be beaten with rods, you know, um, there's statistics that are like 80 to 90% of every child in Haiti has experienced sexual abuse, not in orphanages, not just in orphanages or as a rest of it, which is a child's life, but just every kid, you know, and then you're looking at your caregivers, are broken too. Mm-hmm. They've experienced physical and sexual abuse and now they're having a f- fine healing. So that's how you have to start at ground zero right. and find healing for your caregivers, you know, but, um, so the issues are cultural. Uh, there's generally, and I hate to generalize, but there's some, often there's multiple, uh, mothers with one father. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of unwanted pregnancies and the fathers are like, Oh, it's not my problem. That's your problem. Um, mm-hmm. kind of approach. So you're up against that. There's a lot of rest of it. Child slavery in Haiti is estimated, you know, 200,000 child slaves oh, wow. from UNICEF is in a, uh, and a child slave in Haiti. Uh, rest of it is a French to, to stay with. Basically it's their attempt over generations at foster care, I guess. Um, it's not really working, but if you can't afford or if you have an unwanted pregnancy, you can give that child over to another family who becomes a, an indentured servant or a domestic, uh, domestic servant to that family. They don't get a chance to go to school. They might get one meal a day, but they're often abused physically, sexually, and then the cycle continues to grow. So as you think about foster care or, hey, can you take care of this child? A lot of times, you know, the fear in the past has been... Um, you're perpetuating rest of VEC. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to pay you to take care of this child. Oh, yeah, sure. I'd love to have another child slave to take, you know, right. to help right. around yeah. the house, carry water, whatever. So there's a lot of uh, obstacles, but it's not undoable. Right. Um, we can get through it. It's just about education. And um, there's a lot of great organizations that are fighting uh, to change that, you know, rest of that freedom, I think is doing some brilliant job of changing the way the conversation is in Haiti, um, using a radio program. I think it's brilliant and I'm a big fan of theirs, but there's, there's also families out there that you can identify through the local church that'll be willing to do home-based care and do it well. It's just work. Absolutely. It's, uh, discipline and stewardship and you gotta be willing to do the hard work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, I, and I, I wanted to touch on that because it is. It's so it's so critical to to understand that there are so many ba- obstacles that could paralyze people, and that's what we're trying to do here is to mm-hmm. help people understand. If we do it together, we take time, and we don't think it's going to be a quick fix. You know, we can do this stuff. Yeah. It's just it's going to take time. It's going to take getting into deep relationship, and it's going to really dig in deep with deep wounds with a lot of these people to to bring some you know to help with healing. Um, you you've touched on a few times the family preservation. Yeah, and I know before we were talking about this, we were outside talking, and and uh, you were talking about job creation. Yeah, and how that's a big part of what you're doing. And again, that's something that's not something that you started out doing, right? You know, but now it's it's definitely something that's there. 
as a, as a you know, big part of what you're doing. And so can you share with us a little bit about how you're doing that, why it's important and wh- how it's, how it's connected with all this stuff? Sure. Well, uh, you know, job creation for me, uh, I've been in Haiti working in Haiti for a long time, decades now. And there's a difference between giving someone a, a bag of rice or, um, you know, a sustenance for a week and saying, good, you know, God bless you. Then giving them a job, their face lights up there. There's a, pride and dignity piece that's missing in charity that I've experienced firsthand. It's way, it's way different. And it's so much more rewarding and um, empowering to say, hey, here's a dignified job and take care of your own children without me um, kind of standing over you with the handout bag. You know, it, it just doesn't feel right. Anyway, that's that's a soapbox issue for me that's been developed kind of as we parallel, you know, walk through these orphan care conversations, just in general, as the church engages the poor, is to think about how to provide sustainable jobs. But in terms of orphan care, for us, it was like our kids were approaching 18, 19, and we're like, we could send them to vocational school, but there's just simply no vocations. It's like the old adage, I teach you how to fish, or I, sh- I give you a fish, you, you, you're, I can feed you for today, you know, but if I can teach you how to fish, I'll feed you for a lifetime. But in Haiti, there's no fish in the pond. Mm. So I can't just teach you how to fish. I got to put fish in the fishing hole because there's no, there's no fish there. So uh, we have to actually create the jobs. And for us, it was to engage first world or developed nation like America in dollars. It's about the U.S. dollar engagement. That was two trees that had low hanging fruit which was manufacturing and tourism for us. So for we saw a great opportunity to for manufacturing. We created a business called Haiti Made. Um, and really it was for two reasons. For our kids transitioning out of orphan care, they've hit 18. We have a viable job for them. Plus, for mothers in crisis that were hanging, teetering on the edge of abandoning their kids, say, hey, what about a, a job? And you can care for your kids and maybe your, some of your, your cousin's kids or your sister's kids too at the job. And we've seen that happen. So right now, Haiti Made employs 40 uh, full-time employees. Um, and we've actually spun it out to a for-profit and sold it. And now that company has a give back built in, two hands and feet. Um, and they're walking with us to provide jobs for kids transitioning out of orphan care. And mothers in crisis. And it's been phenomenal. And over the last two or three months, we've seen big time growth. And it looks like they're going to, you know, within a couple of years, hit hundreds of employees, which is fantastic. And it's changing the game, changing the, the idea of if a, if a family comes to our gate and says, we can't afford taking care of this child, it isn't us saying, well, here's some rice or yeah, we'll take in your baby anymore. I mean, we stopped doing that a long time ago. It's, you need to get a job. Here's some opportunities and let us help you walk through this in training and discipleship, what it looks like to be, have a dignified job and to keep your children. And most of the time, Phil, those people respond in a, of course, I'd like to keep my kids. Mm-hmm. I, are you kidding me? A job? That's right. Let's do it. Uh, and now we're pushing into tourism, which is the other tree with low-hanging fruit. Um, Haiti used to be a dynamic place for tourism in the 50s and 60s. It was the same island as the Dominican Republic, which has a thriving tourism industry and some of the best economy in the Caribbean. But we, the church, capital C, have been engaging in Haiti 
uh, and I'm not saying we're the sole um, instigators of killing Haiti's tourism industry, but we've sure played a part because perception becomes reality. And what's happened is people view Haiti as a desperate place to go only on a mission trip. They're, you might say, hey, I'm going to Haiti next week. You're like, well, God bless you. <laughs> right. What are you Good doing? luck. Yeah, you're going to save babies or whatever. But And then what happens is over the years, that those in the those resorts shut down because no one's going there to enjoy Haiti anymore. We go there to save it. Uh, and it perpetuates itself. We've, we've built a nation dependent on these short-term mission trips. Uh, we've built a nation dependent on aid and we built a nation dependent on orphanages. And so we're saying, let's re let's reshape it, rethink it, come to Haiti, visit it. But we're, we're actually building a resort, uh, that's going to be finished up in 2018. It's going to provide 50 direct jobs. Um, hundred indirect jobs. It also changes the conversation. It says we're putting a flag in the, in the dirt right now that says right now th- we've believed this is the way to move forward. Uh, instead of coming here just to serve Haiti, be willing to be served by Haitians and give them pride and dignity through job creation. Uh, instead of painting a wall, go snorkeling. Instead of, um, Digging a hole, go build relationships with Haitians. Ask brothers and sisters in Christ. A more equitable exchange between Haitian, our Haitian hosts and our American or international visitors. And we've seen it blow up already. I mean, it's fantastic. So those are for us creative ways. And that might be specific to Haiti, but to change the game, uh, to say to that mother or to that father out there, there's hope for a job. Uh, and use your skill set, your platform, your leverage to make a difference that way as well. And it is a one-two punch. There's levers. We need the Band-Aid, and it needs to be excellent. So fight for excellence in orphan mm-hmm. care, but also you got to fight for families to stay together. Mm-hmm. And we need both of those things. Yeah, no, and that's why I'm you know, working on a project right now with that. We're talking the interconnectedness of everything, how yeah. we can't just have these silos where somebody's over here discipling and family preserving families and somebody over here is doing human trafficking and somebody you know, response and somebody over here is doing adoptions. We have to work together. We have to be yeah. a, a, a concerted effort where there's synergies created. It's, and Otherwise, it's too overwhelming. I, yeah. mean, I mean, I like to think that I can, you know, I'm ready for a fight, you know, um, and I can do a lot because I'm just this cocky rock star guy. <laughs> but I will. It, it this is a battle that's going to yeah. take a team of people and brilliant people coming together to say, "Man, we need to get organized," because yeah. we've in and, and, and a lot of ways we've created the problem. Mm-hmm. Now we can't walk away. Right. We've got to fix it, and we've got to fight uh, tooth and nail together. Um, to, to end it. And it's not just going to be the hands and feet project or this project or that organization. We have to come together and teach each other and collaborate, collaborate on best practices and how to solve it. All right, man. Hey, we could talk for a long, long time as we know, because we've done it (laughs) many times, but, um, we're going to wrap it up here, uh, with a couple questions that we ask everybody. But before we do that, um, can you just tell everyone your, the website for Hands and Feet? Yeah, and it's so uh, handsandfeetproject.org. Um, and on there you can learn more about Econdo and, you know, mission tourism. Uh, we, we did used to have Haiti made connected there. I think you can still, sorry, I keep hitting the mic like an amateur. Um, HaitiMade.com 
is where you can learn more about HandyMade and buy product. And there's some really cool products coming out there. But the main website is Hands and Feet project.org. Yeah, we'll have that on the on the show notes for this um, as well. But the the second to last question, what have you read, listened to or watched uh, that really has most impacted your thinking on the how we can love orphaned and at-risk children with excellence? Um I haven't read a, a lot of books lately. I got really heavily into it. Orphan Justice was probably the last book I read. I'm, I've, uh, I need to read your book, which would be, I know we've talked a lot about it. I need to get into that one. Um, you know, most of the books I'm reading right now are more, uh, spiritual, you know, Christian mm-hmm. faith books and then leadership books like essentialism or, mm-hmm. um, five dysfunctions of a team. I like that one. Yeah, great. Cause I'm, I'm an idea guy and a visionary and I need help with managing people and pulling the team together. But, um, one book that also rocked my world uh, probably four years ago, and this might step on toes, but was uh, Child Catchers. Child Catchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a real interesting read. If you're, if you really want to, and it's probably a skewed a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's pretty liberal, um, but I really do think there's a lot of great information in there about kind of how we, as first world, kind of, I mean. We try to engage a developing nation and help with adoption, for instance, and it creates these unsupported, I mean, it basically puts too much pressure on those countries to provide infrastructure to do things correctly. Um, but we, we, in our, in our uh, passion to help and our zeal to solve the problem quickly as a believers, uh, we do get cavalier. So my, my, um, my push to you is to learn uh, and not only fight to care for kids well, but also to fight for a standard. Uh, and don't be afraid to stand up for standards. If you see injustices, stand up and fight for it, even within our church movement. Because we've been, we've been known to mess things up, mm-hmm. too. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. Actually, we got we, last night here at KFO, um, Karen, my co-host, was able to interview Catherine Joyce from yeah. the Roth Child Catchers. And so that, that will be, you know, if I'm not sure exactly when we're going to air, which, but, uh, it's either before or after this, you get, it's, it's, it's interesting because we need to be thinking. Yeah, that's I, a great book. Yeah. I love when people, you know, like someone like Catherine, who's outside the kind of the, our space, so to speak, yeah. comes in and says, Hey, here's some issues. Now, like you said, it's skewed. There's obviously a worldview conflict, but at the end of the day, there's truth. I, I think and it was most, yeah, I think it was yeah. truth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's truth. I just, you know, she's, yeah, I, I think we can learn from her. And absolutely, I've yeah. learned a lot from that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it redirected how I serve and fight for kids. Right. So. Then that's, that's I applaud fantastic. It, yeah. So the last question, yeah. what one person, um, and it could be a representative person, but uh, what one person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children? with excellence? Uh, there's a lot. Um, you know, I prob- probably would just hang the hat on to KFO. Um, so, you know, I don't, I know Jed, we email a lot about mostly trying to find artists to come and play for KFO. <laughs> so you say, hey, do you know anybody? I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get this person. <laughs> but I would say, um, there's been some great people, Jed and Kefo, the Hasenbogs, 
for me, Carrie and Scott, mm-hmm. who were uh, instrumental in starting Show Hope. Right. Carrie is a big uh, orphan care excellence and a big advocate. She's been mm-hmm. a bit real inspiration. Um, you've been a, an incredible inspiration to me about best practices, and I watch your commitment grow. In term and your passion towards educating people has been amazing, and then probably the person that's helped me the most, it um, in terms of it's going to be okay is Karen Purvis. She she was fantastic, mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I think we all ho- owe her mm-hmm. um, a great debt of gratitude for how she served and how Absolutely. how uh, she taught. So just she made a big difference for us. Absolutely, for so many. Mark, thanks so much, brother. I love you, man. And I am so, so excited we finally got to do this because it was everything I thought and more. So Perfect. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again, Mark, for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, all you around the world, you got a little taste there of why I've really enjoyed getting to know Mark over the last few years. He's a man who's been thinking deeply. He's been learning a ton. And, and we've really been learning together. And I hope you out there are learning right alongside with us. Um, the other thing I want you to, to pay attention to is the fact that Mark was talking about CAFO and, and uh, the impact it's had on his life. Well, the, the summit is coming up in uh, Dallas in a couple weeks. We'll have the link to kfo.org on the, on the, the uh, show notes. But you can go there and find out all the info about summit. If there's any way you can get to Dallas in, in uh, the week, uh, a couple weeks from now, it would be a fantastic time for you. Definitely would not be a waste of your, your time and, and energy. So, uh, Karen, what do you think of the interview with Mark? thought it was super great. I always get excited when I hear stories from all around the world of people who are so excited and passionate and just intentional with providing families and homes and care for children without families. And I loved hearing their um, kind of trajectory of change within what they thought they were going to be doing um, and then what they're doing now. And so even um, one of the things that stood out for me was, I think the phrase he used was continuum for care. And in my world, clinically speaking, that looks like individualized care for each child and understanding that even though we have um, big ideas and overarching evidence-based practice that we still have to keep in mind what does each child need and knowing that each child has a very different and very unique story. And so that was super encouraging. And obviously I'm sure you guys know that I was very excited also to hear about their partnership with the emotional care partners and how there is so much emphasis and intentionality in helping kiddos find healing and through an emphasis on attachment and building healthy relationships. He did a great job of talking about the importance of mental health care and spiritual health care. Yeah, no, it's been something I've, I've loved learning, uh, like I said, learning alongside uh, Mark. And, you know, he, he gave me some kudos for giving, you know, giving him some thoughts in the, in the process. But, uh, you know, it's been something we've absolutely been helping each other learn, helping each other understand. Um, and, you know, and through that, yeah, we're obviously going to share with each other some, some different tidbits. But, but learning about Haiti is something that, because, you know, Mark went in as a learner. You know, he went in to try to understand it better. And so when he goes in, he had a, he had a paradigm, as he said. He, he says he said, he was, I was a rock star. I was a guy <laughs> just kind of going in and winging it. I mean, he didn't say those words, but that's effectively Kinda. what, you know. Yeah, yeah, right? You know, I mean, and, and I say winging it may be a bit strong, but, at the you know, he'd probably agree with me on that, you know, because at the end of the day, that's really what it is when we aren't using the evidence-based research, when we aren't really thinking about this at that deep level. And sometimes, you know, in triage, that's okay. But as he, as he realized, like, you know what? 
we can do this better. There are ways we can do this better, but he didn't really know what that meant. And so then he goes and learns and learns and continues to seek out the people to be able to teach him to understand better, you know, and with that, you know, as he said, you know, is one of those things that I want to talk a little bit about now is the idea of, you know, something that people hear about, they get, they get really nervous. I know is when you say, Hey, you know, go down and just be a tourist. Right. Mm, You know, and and he wasn't saying go be an orphanage tourist. (laughs) That'd be very different, but he's like, go down and be a tourist, you know? And what are your thoughts on that, Karen? Yeah, I was intrigued and I wanted to listen really respectfully because there was a little part of me that was like, wait, what what would that look like? And would that be exploitation? And would that be like going into um, an environment where there is so much disparity? Like, how would that work? I know that's exactly where my brain was going, even as I think about a potential um, vacation that I may or may not be going on um, in the Dominican Republic and even some conflicting thoughts and feelings that I've had related to that. But when we think about the way that Mark presents it, I, I really respect it in so many different ways of, of saying, you know, instead of the church kind of supporting and funding orphanages in developing countries, what, it, what would it look like if we intentionally went and spent our money in a way to help provide jobs and to support um, locals in their jobs in a very respectful way, not in a way that says, hey, you need my American money to have food or to have education, but hey, like, I have this privilege and this opportunity to go on a vacation and I'd like to be going to a country where I could help support jobs and families in that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was one of those things that it just reminded me of, uh, the movie poverty Inc, you know, with, with Michael Miller and that interview that we had with him, just talking with him about these, these concepts of so many times we go in with these good intentions and we're spending a ton of money and bringing money in to certain things. And we're actually bringing, you know, solar panels for instance, and giving them away for free, which takes away from the business of, you know, these people who are trying to start these businesses. And I think in the same way, sometimes we come down to do things and with that same money, if you're going to go somewhere, you know, again, who are you going to be? Right. So if you're going to be, if you're to go on a vacation somewhere, go to a place that, that has the, the, you know, the needs to be able to help them help build the economy up so that they can flourish and they can thrive. Because if there aren't jobs to have at, you know, at the end of the day, if there aren't jobs to have, if these kids are growing up with education, what are they going to do? I just think of Honduras with a 52%, you know, unemployment rate. I'm hoping that that stats changed a little bit since the last time I, I learned that stat, but that's a, that's a daunting thing that, you know, if you're growing up in that, what hope do you have for getting a job later on? Right. You know, even if you get a great, you know, education. So those are the types of things that, you know, if we can build tourism in these places where, you know, no one criticizes Venice for being 100% tourism, right? Because it's in Italy, right? But if, if a certain part of Haiti is 100% tourism, is that, is that really such a bad thing? Now, I think that there are protections we need to place around all of that, obviously, given the Amanda Cox interview when we talked with, you know, we talked about that a little bit ago. There's, there are huge implications and huge issues that we need to protect against. So I do pray that people out there aren't, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying we just exploit and take over countries. That's not what's being said, but there are certain things that can be, and it will provide jobs. It'll provide a great potential, but not at the expense and not to exploit the people. And I think that's why really listening to Mark and learning from Mark in this, because I know there's one thing I know about Mark. He's studying this on how to do it right in a way that actually builds up and helps these kids flourish and helps this economy flourish. So, you know, those are things that I, I love. That's what I love about this type of stuff. Like you said, you know, to really listen, to really kind of dial into it. And what is he saying? What is he not saying? And if we do disagree, let's have a conversation. And then maybe at the end of the day, we will agree. Yeah. 
One of the other things that I really enjoyed about his interview was he really highlighted the need for taking care of people who are taking care of the children. And so um, I think he referenced it as healing for caregivers. And, you know, that's a, a huge part of my passion in general is member care and making sure that we're taking care of uh, whether it is parent, auntie, uh, frontline worker, staff um, who are taking care of orphaned and vulnerable children. Uh, it's so very important that we're pressing in and trying to change that cycle of abuse or that cycle of neglect, that intergenerational parenting style that without intentionality tends to just repeat itself. No, absolutely. So, you know, as with every interview we do, you know, we could talk on and on about these issues. And, you know, my, my prayer for all these is that we all um, learn from them. And when does something does pique our interest, we don't just stop there. But, you know, send an email to Mark and Hands and Feet if you have a question about what they're doing. Send an email to us and say, hey, you know what? What you said, I disagree with that because or I agree. And but I want to learn more. You know, there's there's so many different things we can we can do with this information. And the one that I hope we don't do is just sit on it and don't think about it. You know, we just, I hope this isn't just ear candy for people. I, I assume it's not because these aren't really light topics that we're talking about. But at the same time, this stuff is only, you know, it's really only worth what we do with it, you know, and how we engage it and how we can learn more from it, how we can engage other people with it. So if it's something that really, you know, piques your, your interest, piques your thought, wherever you are around the world, whether you're in Haiti or somewhere else, you know, I, I, I do pray that you, you use this is the beginning of a conversation and not the end of one. Um, so, you know, with that, let's go to the the recommendation seg segment today. And uh, I have a recommendation today. It's a, it's a book that I finished recently that I, I really liked um, and something that really made me think that it's a short book, which is, you know, nice on a busy schedule, but uh, it's called Little Things why you really should sweat the small stuff. It's by a, a man, Andy Andrews. He's a novelist. I've never, I haven't read any of his novels. I heard him on a podcast and that it, it piqued my interest on this book. And then I'm gl very glad I read it. It has one example I'll share with you, you know, the idea of, of a banana and opening a banana. And this, if nothing else, you'll learn today the, uh, the better way to open a banana if you're not already doing it. Most people open a banana by the handle, uh, which is what we call it. It's not really the handle. It's really the stem because it makes sense. It's rational, right? And uh, the, the fact of the matter is if you watch a, a monkey open a banana, if you watch an ape or gorilla open a banana, they'll do it from the bottom. If you just squeeze the bottom, it pops right open and you peel it. It actually, the string comes with it. And that's something that my kids actually taught me. Uh, I don't know. I forget where they learned it a few months ago. And... Um, the, the really the lesson learned there is, you know, the, the rational kind of the way that makes sense sometimes isn't the best way to do things. And so in our minds, sometimes the way we do orphan care um, is it makes sense to us, but it doesn't mean it's the right way or the better way, you know, the excellence driven way. Um, and so that, that was just some a little something there that uh, that I took from that book. And there's so many other little things like that, as you said, you know, the small things that are that are critical in, in our life and the things that we really do need to be thinking about deeper. So I pray that uh, you take that, you know, hopefully, you know, the, the banana uh, concept. Now, when you look at a banana, maybe you'll think differently. Um, but uh, take everything else you, you've heard today, everything else you're, you're listening to and, and learning um, from others and really use it. See how God's helping you to, to use it to help you to love orphaned 
and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great one. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. And for all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.